Yes, I can yeah. hear you just okay, cool. fine. Excellent. And everybody is, yeah, everybody sounds good. All right, Everybody's folks. Everybody's hearing us now. Damn it, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, folks. Welcome back to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. This is actually episode number 52. Woohoo! So oh, my goodness. This rounds out a year. <laughs> Dave, you should feel special. This is our one year anniversary episode. Fantastic. I, I am very honored. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. So, as uh, you heard, uh, Nick just completely cut me off when I was trying to do the beginning of this thing. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host, Nick, who's off in the background acting like a typical jackass like normal. Yes! And tonight, we actually have a... I'm going to call him a miniature industry veteran. Someone long in the tooth, if you will. <laughs> Dave Taylor. Are you calling me old? I think you just made a bunch of old jokes. I, I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> I wasn't going to quite say old, but uh, let's just say that Dave's been around quite a damn bit here. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, Dave, why don't you kick us, kick this off a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've done in the industry, uh, the different things that you've worked on, and uh, you know what kind of what kind of take it from there. Um, cool. Okay. Well, just uh, just the quick overview. Uh, back when I uh, graduated from college, um, I joined Games Workshop. I uh, started as a guy in the stores, um, casual staff member, then a full timer, then a manager. Um, I opened stores for Games Workshop. Uh, I moved to the promotions department in Australia, uh, organized games days, grand tournaments, um, published the Australian White Dwarf. Um, 2002, I moved to the US, uh, moved to Baltimore to work for GW US uh, in the promotions team, um, did all sorts of stuff for them, worked on White Dwarf, worked on Grand tournaments, games days, um, store promotional activities, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, left Games Workshop at the end of 2008, uh, beginning of 2009. Started working for um, Battlefront Miniatures, uh, working on the War Games Illustrated magazine. Um, basically doing uh, writing articles, uh, sourcing articles, doing layout, photography, um, all sorts of stuff. Uh, did that for five years. And then uh, three, just over three years ago, started my own business called Dave Taylor Miniatures. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the Dave Taylor Miniatures transition, because you were in like a couple of big established companies, and then you just decided to say, screw it, I'm going independent. Yeah. Um, basically, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty much that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> At the, I don't at like the... having money anymore. <laughs> I had money, regular paycheck. Oh, screw that. <laughs> no, it was um, it was very much a, a thing where there are uh, over the years you meet a lot of people. Uh, I met a lot of very cool people doing. Uh, they were doing fun and exciting things, and um, I wanted to sort of be involved in some of those. So it wasn't going to be sort of quite right for me to be doing that while I was working for uh, War Games Illustrated. Um, so I thought. If I leave, what am I going to do uh, exactly? Um, am I going to create my own life pitches? Uh, and I thought, no, there's a lot of people out there already doing that, creating games and lines of miniatures, that sort of thing. Um, but I do have a lot of skills, um, a lot of broad, sorry, fairly broad skill set from uh, my years of Games Workshop and uh, Williams Illustrated. So I thought, why not uh, offer those up to um, folks in the in the business 
Nice. So you kind of, you took a bit of a mercenary approach with it. Instead of like going out of your way and making your own game or your own miniatures, you're like, I could just help people with theirs. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Mercenary approach is a, a pretty good way to say it. Um, obviously you got to, got to pay the bills and keep the lights on that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, looking around, there were, there were people who were creating great games, but uh, their rule books didn't look particularly sort of snazzy. Uh, so, that, okay, I can help them sort of spruce those up. I can do photography for them. I can do layout. I can uh, get things printed. There's a lot of things that I could do there. Um, there are other folks who um, needed some painting done. I could do some painting for those, uh, those companies. There are other people who needed some help running Kickstarters. Um, or uh, folks who are looking at longer term sort of marketing uh, strategies and marketing approaches, that sort of thing. Uh, so basically I just looked at all of the things that I had done, um, made a big list of those and offer those up to a bunch of different people. So Nice. So that's, outside, that's of, awesome. outside of working for Battlefront and Games Workshop, what are some of those companies you've worked with? Um, I knew I should have pulled this up, but uh, whenever somebody asks me that, it's like, uh, <laughs> um, I do have a list of like 20, 20 or so uh, companies that I've done work for. So um, why not open up this folder? Um, so it's folks <laughs> like, um, uh, at the moment I'm doing quite a lot of work for Cool Mini or Not. Uh, I've done uh, work for Brigade Games, um, Games and Gears, Geek Nation Tours, uh, Grindhouse Games, um, Infamy Miniatures, Ironheart Artisans, uh, Mindworm Games, Ninja Division, uh, Secret Weapon Miniatures, Victoria Miniatures, Warlord, uh, Warlord Games, uh, and World's End Publishing. Or that's probably like half the half the people that I've worked with. Nice. So you've definitely you've been all over when it comes time to the, even the genres of games. So you're not just sticking to like the fantasy and the World War Two. You're, you're you're floating. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll work on anything. I'm, um, I've always said it, rather than um, being a, a gamer first, I'm a, a modeler and a painter first. Um, so toy soldiers are really, and I, I'll call them toy soldiers. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. But uh, toy soldiers are the things that really sort of uh, attract me and keep me excited in the sort of in the, in the business. Um, I understand that a lot of people, many more people than uh, like to play than paint. And that's just fine. Um, so anything that I can do to, to help bring games, bring lines of miniatures to more people is uh, is what I'll try and do. That's awesome. Nice. So, so let's kind of talk about a little bit of uh, some of the stuff you do. So I, I know you do layout, you do painting and everything else. Like you've mentioned a lot of different companies in there. Is it pretty much the same work for every company or is there – like certain companies you really had to focus on like a book layout. Was there certain companies that you had to focus on, you know, just kind of getting the word out there and more of an, I, I guess, advertising. Um, yeah. There's, it's been a, been a complete mix. Um, there are some folks who have, um, they've got uh, a, sort of a team of uh, freelance studio painters, essentially. Um, they've got a great um, layout guy. They've got excellent writers and editors, but they might not have somebody who can put together an article on how to paint a model or how to convert a model or how to build terrain out of foam. Um, so for them, I've done um, some focused sort of hobby content, um, done quite a bit of that sort of stuff for Ninja Division. Um, 
for Warlord Games. I've put together, uh, I think I'm up to about seven or eight painting guides for them for their World War II range, for the Bolt Action range. Um, for uh, World's End Publishing, I've uh, done photography and layout and um, advertising materials, uh, Kickstarter graphics, that sort of thing for their game. Uh, this is not a test. Um, and yeah, it really depends on the, on the company. Um, Brigade games. I started off with them, uh, mainly doing, uh, photography of their, um, their miniatures. Basically I'd get the miniatures, I'd ink them up so that they had that good contrast. I'd photograph them and send off the photographs. And that was because Lon who runs brigade games, um, always saw me at conventions taking photos. So in his mind, I was a photographer. Um, just as recently though, in October, I, um, after he'd seen the, uh, this is not a test, uh, book, uh, I got to put together a, uh, rule book for him, uh, the disposable heroes two, the second edition of that, of that game. So again, there, for that one, I did photography and layout, um, and editing. Um, so yeah, it's, so it was, depending on how they've sort of interacted with me before, that's how they'll sort of view me and ask me if I can do those things. And then it's just a matter of expanding people's awareness sort of as we go through. Sure. Now, I know that a lot of people that listen to this also watch YouTube, and I'm fairly certain that if they look up Dave Taylor, they're going to see you have a YouTube channel. But most recently, you were actually on Beasts of War, and uh, you were talking about Dark Age and Wrath of Kings for Cool Mini or Not. Yep. How did you end up uh, getting involved with Cool Mini or Not? Um, basically, uh, I've known um, I've known David Doust for a while, um, probably over a decade now, um, and I've known a lot of the the cool many or not folks from conventions and uh, the crystal brush and that kind of thing. Um, the late uh, 2015, I think um, a friend of mine, uh, Rob Vilnay was working for uh, cool many or not. And he invited me to come down and talk about um, some marketing um, or a marketing approach for dark age and uh, wrath of Kings. So it's two, um, two excellent games that, as you well know, um, are uh, fantastic ranges that we just need to um, uh, work out ways that we can uh, just bring additional attention to them, I guess. Um, so that's how I sort of started there. And once I put the plan together, they said, would you like to come on and um, do some, some work? And I said, that, that would be great. It has to be part-time because I've got a bunch of other clients. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of been sort of working through from there. Okay, cool. So, because I, I know that you actually were jumping on board right as I was leaving Cool Mini or not, and uh, you actually took over some of the organized play duties, if I remember correctly. Um, there, are, there are some things that I've, uh, I sort of got involved with. Um, there are some things that, uh, that I sort of let, let sort of sit there as that they already existed. Um, sure. So I think um, some of the the uh, the campaign structure was that you? Yeah, actually it was. Yeah, um, that, I wasn't sure if they were still using it. I know I think it's still up on the Dark Age website. You know, again, it, it is. want to go check it out? It's there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's still up there. Um, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Um, so I think uh, yeah, we're still suggesting people to do that. Um, during last year uh, at the sort of uh, 
the prompting of a few people, I think yourself included. Uh, we finally put together a um, an organized play kit um, yeah. for Dark Age and for Wrath of Kings, uh, just as a, a cool little additional thing that stores could pick up for uh, if they're running campaigns or if they're running tournaments, um, that sort of thing. Um, one thing was that was uh, nice and fun to be able to add to that is uh, the Blood Gelt. Um, See, that's new. I saw some photos of it, and I was like, ooh, what is this? <laughs> um, hang on a second. Uh, yeah, so the, the Blood Gelt is a um, like a like almost like a challenge coin kind of thing. Um, in the Dark Age uh, organized play kits, each of them has a, um, has a Blood Gelt. I've got a couple here, so I'm just going to put it up to the screen to show you, but of course listeners can't see this. Right. <laughs> um, see it when we post it on YouTube, it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is all going up on YouTube? I'm like, yeah, all of it. You'll see my, my horrible basement oh, bunker. People um, are going to see me in my bedroom, so it's fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we, um, we put those together. Uh, it was kind of a, um, a collaboration of a few different people throwing ideas around. But the idea with the Blood Gelt is uh, the Blood Gelt is the thing that, that gets you entry into the uh, Immortals tournament at um, Kumanunot Expo in May. Uh, so these have gone out across the country um they can be won through the organized play kits so if somebody's playing it wants to run a campaign in a store they can become one of those if they want to run a tournament they can become one of those um they're also uh available by challenging uh folks like myself brian Steele, michael chanal um david moffat um who's one of the crazy Dark Age veterans who loves to travel around the country and play huge games of Dark Age. Um, but yeah, you can challenge for those. Uh, if you win the game, the way you've challenged, you get a, a Blood Gelt. And uh, you can bring those along to um, to join in on the Immortals tournament. Nice. So, uh, just a cool little sort of fun extra thing that we added. Um, and now Brian's sort of writing some, uh, writing Blood Gelt into the story storyline of uh, Dark Age. Um, as a basically as coinage for um, for the bounty hunters. Okay. That's that's cool. That's always a nice addition to a game. Yeah, just nice. something, something fun. Cool. So you guys definitely evolved on the the dark age organized play a little bit. What what all was done for Wrath of Kings? I know, like when I left, that was still something that was very almost at that point not touched. It, it, we were just folk, so focused on getting the models out there for people to play. Cause it was just between yep. the Kickstarter and the timing. It was rapid succession, wave one, wave two, wave three. Yeah. Well, I think, um, Wrath of Kings is a, um, is a tough one. We do have, there is the, um, the clash of Kings, uh, sort of tournament package. Um, but Wrath of Kings is really, it's a really interesting one. Um, as you know, the, the game itself is the rule, uh, the core rules are quite simple. But the the way that everything interacts is incredibly nuanced. Yes. So it's and it's not a it's not a game where uh, both players sort of step up to to play the same scenario. Um, essentially, so the motivations impact uh, things the way that the games work very heavily. Um, so putting together a campaign structure needs to sort of work a little bit differently. And I, I think, like yourselves, we still haven't wrapped our heads fully around um, what the the best way to to approach that is. Because uh, obviously, sometimes if you've got a um, you've got a Garizzi force with a 
motivation to sort of have them move quickly across the board, um, which they're incredibly good at doing, putting that up against a, another force with a, uh, a completely different or a, a motivation that requires them to do nothing about people moving across the board. It impacts yeah, it, it very differently. Yeah, it almost kind of turns into two ships passing in the night. You're just going to kind of let the greasy go. You'll kill a couple, but then you're going to go do your own thing. Yeah, so it, it doesn't um, won't necessarily make for for a satisfying game. Um, so there probably needs to to needs to be a uh, another way that we can approach that. And uh, it's something that we're always sort of tossing around ideas, but uh, but nothing's quite. So um, yeah, I think normally. Uh, with with most games, scenarios are the things that create the variety. Mm-hmm. The game like Wrath of Kings, with the the ability to the, the way that changing your leader changes your the way that your army works, and changing your motivation changes the way your army works, and even the, just the way that your group activate everything, you've got that variety within that simple system. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, that, you know, that was one of the things that even when I was there, I was kind of like, okay, how do we get this a little bit more balanced for tournaments? And by tournaments, I meant more like, you know, a lot of people, when they think tournament, they think we're just going to run up the board and smash each other in the face. Yeah. And so, like, I even remember the first couple times at Adepticon when we were running it, when we were doing the, uh, the first few Clash of Kings, um, the Hadros player was just murdering everybody. Right. And a lot of that was because of the fact that like he was playing a scenario where he basically just had to get to the middle of the board and stick it out. Yep. Which if anybody knows Wrath of Kings, like Hadros, their tanks, like killing them is almost impossible. Not that, <laughs> it, not that it's impossible, but like you were dumping a lot of effort into making sure that even like your typical line troops go down. So yep. the fact that he was running like these elite hyper durable line troops right up the middle of the board, there's a lot of people that are like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. Cause I have to get past him or I got to kill off his leaders, which they're good at sitting in the background. And I got to go through this wall of spears. Yep. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yep. Life sucks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yep. It's a, but, it is uh, a fun one. Um, yeah. I played in a, uh, the Wrath of Kings tournament uh, the other weekend, and um, my last game was against a Hadros player. Fortunately, he'd already used the the loot and plunder uh, motivation, which is pretty much gives them the the result you're talking about. Um, yes. So uh, it was nice not to have to worry about that. But uh, I think we spent sort of six or seven turns just sort of slapping each other. Um, in the <laughs> end, I'd, uh, I think I managed to score two. Two points. Oh, that's brutal. And he scored one. <laughs> it, it was really just a tentacle slap fight. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's brutal. So, uh, but yeah, so the, uh, but yeah, it, it does give a, a lot of very close games. So we had, I think the top three players all had two wins and a loss. Um, and we had to go to, uh, the final thing came down to uh, secondary objective points. Oh, wow. Find out who won. So it was uh, definitely, definitely cool stuff. That's awesome. So uh, outside of working with Cool Me, you're not part-time right now. What else are you working on? Um, a bunch of different things. Uh, amusingly enough, um, I'm still doing work for uh, War Games Illustrated. Okay. 
Um, I've just uh, submitted a, an article for their April issue, I think. Um, and when I get back from the Las Vegas Open uh, next week, I'll be painting up some uh, British Napoleonic models uh, nice. for a painting article that they're doing. They're, oh, well, not a painting article, but it's an actual, it's an article about the uh, the British soldier from sort of through the Napoleonic Wars. So I've got models from different periods during that uh, that time. So I've got to paint those up. Uh, I am... That's awesome. Preparing some uh, T-shirts and banners for uh, This Is Not A Test for Adepticon. Um, I hope to be starting pretty soon some painting guides for uh, Beyond the Gates of Antares. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a bunch of different things. Gonna spread around. Wow. So, uh, some of the that n- this is not a test is gonna end up in the mail to me, right? Some of that swag. Some of that swag. <laughs> I'm not sure. Are, are you gonna be at uh, Adepticon? I don't know yet. I will be. Oh, sorry, who's gonna be at Adepticon? You yeah, sorry, I'm gonna be at Adepticon. I'm actually gonna be helping out at the Death Ray Designs uh, terrain booth, and all right, cool. I'm hoping to have uh, the first game by my company out there. Uh, so it's kind of a dark gothic uh you know very skirmish based game called phantas the dark below so i'm hoping to have copies of that ready to go oh my god you're making a game oh yeah i know (laughs) is this the first time he's told you nick is this the first time (laughs) it's it's the first time i'm hearing about this (laughs) i feel so betrayed i so i was actually i made a note down here that actually I wrote down don't talk about Fantas tonight but because you were asking about the <laughs> I was like son of a bitch there, there goes that right out the window <laughs> oh man that's Thanks. actually kind of funny that you made a note <laughs> I did because I was I was thinking back it's like damn it I have talked about Fantas the last like five or six episodes because somebody asks me about it <laughs> I I can't say that necessarily somebody asks you about it, but they mention some point and you go, you know, I encountered that too when I was writing Thantis. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or yeah, like I was writing it. <laughs> like rules development discussions, and I'm like, ah, crap, I've been doing it the whole time. Yeah. So, well, let's <laughs> there go. you go, Dave. You, you coaxed it out of me. <laughs> I will be there. So uh, this year, because this is the first time I'm kind of going as an independent, yep. um, I, I, I'm just – you know, ultimately to help Austin promote stuff, help, you know, help uh, Joe McGuire over at This Is Not A Test, like any of the indie companies that we've talked to really kind of help promote them a little bit more. And I plan on uh, obviously podcasting the hell out of it all weekend. So, you know, uh, we focus a lot with the, uh, the independent companies. So the more we can do that, the better. Yeah. I think it's good. Um, there's, uh, I think when I set up um, Dave Taylor Miniatures, it was um, the, sort of the mission statement was to uh, help companies bring uh, new products to market, and uh, but also sell more of their existing product. So for a small company, um, an indie company, it's it's very important that the money that they've spent on those initial products gets initially recouped, but also that that's the thing that keeps the lights on for them. Um, selling more and more of those first set of products allow, will allow them to continue to expand the game. So, um, yeah, it's definitely definitely cool. Nice, nice. So, actually, that was something I kind of wanted to talk with you a little bit about because we've had a lot of people from different companies 
uh, come on. A lot of them are like sometimes just figure sculptors. There's some people that have just started uh, with their own game companies. Yep. They don't have the experience to get it out there. So I guess, you know, you being the guru that you are, like what is some of the best ways for a lot of these independent companies to get going? Now, obviously a lot of the, some of this might be trade secrets that they, you want people to pay you for, but if you can generalize a little bit and just kind of throw out some pointers, you know, I, I would definitely like to hear it. Sure thing. Um, number one, I think would be networking. Um, before you launch anything, make sure that you, that you know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk to people. Uh, if you're creating something that is of a particular genre, um, be active in the, that community. Uh, if you're doing a, a post-apocalyptic game and you haven't spent any time on any forums or any Facebook pages or following anybody's Twitter feed or whatever, um, if you haven't been to shows and played some post-apocalyptic games, um, they're the things you need to do first. Um, people need to be aware of your name and what you're doing, uh, sort of what you could put up, potentially do. Um, so that when you announce a product, people just don't go, uh, who's this guy? He doesn't know anything. Right. 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 So rather, Oh yeah, I know Joey. He's been, um, talking about making cool scenery for the last two years. That's great. Excited that he's doing something. Um, it's, it's connection, making connection with people. And that's that, that network, networking part. Uh, that sort of thing is very important. Um, so a second thing would be understanding uh, the size of your market, your target market, um, and tempering your expectations to that. Um, so uh, it's knowing who else is in the, who else is in the market understanding all of that but i guess it's market research sure i think that's i think that's the buzzword for it <laughs> but uh being aware of those things and um but primarily to to be able to start something and keep going with it it's it's being very it's being very conservative with your uh your initial sort of uh start so that you don't spend all your money in the first three months uh, and expect it all to come flooding back in. Uh, it's going to take time to build. Uh, you've got to build a community, got to work through it. Um, Ash Barker, for example, um, Gorilla Miniature Games. Uh, Ash has just announced his um, last days uh, set of rules. Um, he's been talking with Osprey Games. They're going to uh, publish the full set of rules next year. Uh, yeah. But to ensure that there's a community there when it's, the book drops, he's uh, sort of put out a, a trimmed down version of the rules um, to his Patreon backers. So he can start building the, that community and each month he'll um, hopefully send out a, a scenario to everybody to him to start you know, keep building and, and growing that, uh, that sort of community. So people will be building terrain, painting zombies and, their survivors and that kind of thing. So it's uh, building community, networking, market research, those things are all key. Cool. So I guess the other question to ask too is I know that you said that you are a toy soldier guy. Yeah. Um, you know, there there's certain companies out there that they, they only focus on making miniatures and there's certain companies that they only focus on 
doing rule books or like, you know, miniatures. I don't want to say that they only focus on the rule book, but like miniatures are secondary, especially uh, with like the flood of miniatures that have come out since Kickstarters. Yep. Um, I guess the question on that is like, is it better to have a good balance with your company or is it, you know, or if you're going to focus on one thing, just go whole hog and really make that part of your brand. I think, um, there's a there's a couple of different answers to that, but the, the main one is is that there's there's possibly there are many wrong answers, and there might be just as many like right answers. Um, somebody like uh, Joey Maguire, uh, he's it's all about the, the this is not a test rule book, um, and the the rules and the expansions and the cool additional things that you can add in. Joey's got a lot of um, a lot of cool ideas and understands really how he can bring those to the tabletop. Um, and he's got a good crew of play testers as well. Uh, but he's, I, he's somebody I, I'd call mainly focused on rules. Sure. Um, he does have some miniatures and he likes getting more miniatures made, but he hasn't gone out and said, okay, well I've got six war bands. So I'm going to make, have six war bands made right from the get go. Um, he's slowly building that up. And in, in his rule book, he actually encourages you to go out and find other miniatures from other cool companies that are out there. Um, that All of that just means that Joey has to understand what, what his sales are going to be like. What is he going to sell to each customer who wants to get into this is not a test? He's going to sell a set of rules, and he might sell some expansions later on, um, and he might sell some of his miniatures. Sure. As long as he's as long as he's prepared for that and understands that that's what he's going to do, thumbs up. Um, you've got somebody like uh, Kevin uh, or people like Kevin Sally White from uh, Hasslefree who do miniatures and don't do any rules for them. They've over it's taken them uh, quite a while to to build up their reputation to where they are now. Where if somebody's looking for miniatures for a game like Joey's or for um, Ash's Last Days, it's that's one of the places they'll go to first. So sometimes there can be a, like a symbiotic relationship, sure, with mini- uh, companies that only make miniatures or only make rules. Um, Games Workshop's done an incredibly good job in the market of training everybody to to think. Okay, if I'm going to play X game from Y company, I'm going to buy the miniatures from Y company to go with that game because they've been designed for it. So that's where most companies sit in the middle. They know they they feel that if they've made miniatures, the best way to sell them is have a, a rule set, and that's the sort of the typical approach. But if you don't have a good, if you've got cool miniatures and an okay game system, you might have done yourself a disservice. I think you've got to, right. to make sure that you're um, that everything is striving to be the the best. You can't just sort of throw out a rule set. Um, I can't think of any at the moment um, to be like that, but it's it's always the danger. Um, so for folks who are really into their toy soldiers and either sculpting them themselves or working with sculptors, having that focusing on a set of miniatures is is going to be better for them than scrambling to get a, a rule set that may not work. Um, same the other way around. It's no sense sort of paying for shoddy sculpting or poor casting. Um, 
to to back up a cool rule set. Right, especially if like you're, why have you know bad looking miniatures or poorly sculpted miniatures or poorly cast miniatures when you could just take all that asset and throw it back into the rule book or into the next expansion to make it look even better and cleaner. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's working with what you, um, what you like, because if you at the end of the day you you spent like eight, ten, twelve hours working on something that you don't like. Yeah, that's you may as well sit in an office. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, you really got to do, do what you like if you're working in a, in a hobby industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what are, what are some of the other uh, things that you would recommend people to do? So like, I know you covered marketing and you, you covered market research and just networking, but like, you know, is there, is there something to be said about like, like banners and ad space and things like that. Obviously, I, again, a lot of that is stuff that you get paid to do. So, you know, don't go into too much detail, but like, no. is, is there, is there a necessity <laughs> kind of things? Uh, it's fine. I think one of the things that, um, that I do working with, um, with games workshop and with battlefront miniatures, um, even though they're too, um, to well, Games Workshop is the biggest, and Battlefronts um, right up there. Uh, neither of those companies had a lot of money to throw around on uh, on sort of marketing materials or advertising. Uh, so my approach is always a: what can we do that's free, or what can we do that takes time but doesn't require sort of cash outlay? Um, so that's the sort of the key thing that I would, that I advise my clients is we look through a list of things that they could, um, to, to get exposure really. Um, which includes talking with podcasters, work out who, who your market, what, what are your marketing, uh, what's your, um, what's your market listening to? What YouTube channels are they watching? Um, who speaks to them? on a sort of regular basis. Uh, so it's then send emails. Hey, is it okay if one of my clients comes and talks to you um, <laughs> about a Kickstarter they've got coming up? Um, can't believe somebody's done that just recently, but uh, anyway. Um, so uh, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Um, talk to talk to people who are, who are talking to your, your audience. Okay, cool. Um, so. So that, that's always my approach. I think um, there are there are no doubt uh, cool analytics out there that can can sort of tell you a whole bunch of stuff about banner ads and click throughs and that sort of thing. Um, somebody who probably I'm not sure if you've spoken with uh, with Larry from Bella Lost Souls. Not yet. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, he'd be definitely be a good guy for that. Um, in a sense, uh, all of that sort of aspect. Um, and at the same time, he has, uh, the game wire, uh, function and the game wire widget up there where manufacturers can post directly to, uh, an audience that's already out there, a, a war gaming audience. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of different ways of, of doing it. So, um, but it's just working out exactly who's going to speak to the right people, people that you're looking for. Right. Which makes absolute sense to me 
Yes. So I guess one of the other things to kind of touch on is, you know, it's it's kind of become on the retail side of the industry, like the kind of a touchy subject is like you mentioned Kickstarter, like yep. a lot of people on the retailer side, as far as a brick and mortar game store, they still kick, they still see Kickstarter as a bit of a, a, a curse on the industry. Um, yep. You know, how, how do you feel about that? And like, you know, cause you've, you've worked on the backside with the manufacturing. You've never really, well, I mean, with games workshop, you did with the brick and mortar, yep. but like, do you see like a is there a balance to be struck there and like how to how to make that happen? I, I think there very definitely is a balance to be struck there. Um, there's a lot of different ways to to sort of slice it, um, depending on the size of your company uh, and the amount of distribution into retail stores that you're looking for, um, or that you can expect to sort of get. Uh, talking about Joey, and this is not a test. Um, he did a Kickstarter for his rule book um and this is just so that he could pay for printed copies to to be out in the world um and when i say out in the world i mean out with the end users out with the, the people who are actually reading through the book putting together their war bands and playing the games right um so his kickstarter that he ran recently was um when i say recently it was april last year april may um he was looking for two thousand dollars um, that was going to help uh, allow him to paint, uh, to print 50 or 60 books on demand kind of thing. You got that in an hour. Yeah. You got that in an hour. Exactly. <laughs> I, I was um, one of those people. Yep. So it's, uh, being able to, um, to do that by Kickstarter. That's, that's something where he wasn't on retailers radar. He wasn't on distributors radar at all. Uh, he probably still isn't on a lot of uh, people's radar, uh, except for people who are interested in post-apocalyptic gaming. Right. Uh, but now that, that money allowed him to get extra books um, and have a stock, and now a local, the local game store is currently stocking his rule book. Oh, excellent. Um, which is very cool. Yeah. Games and stuff in uh, Glen Burnie. And so without Kickstarter that book wouldn't be in that store. Um, is it the start of something potentially huge for Joey? Possibly. Uh, but it was all thanks to Kickstarter. Um, I'd all, I always advise anybody who's going to Kickstarter to say, okay, what the first, one of the first questions I ask them is what is your plan for distribution after this, after Kickstarter? And if they still plan to, if it's just, I'm going to sell from my website, then that's fine. Do whatever you like. But if it's, I want to get into retail stores, I want to get through distribution somehow, then it's okay. Well, here are the things you need to think about. You don't want to be pissing people off. You don't want to sell them, sell them everything. Um, so that there's nothing for customers, nothing new for customers to buy from that retail store. Um, there always has, has to be that there's something coming afterwards um, that hopefully the Kickstarter will be the thing that fund, uh, funds that stuff that comes afterwards. Uh, so that's all, that's always my advice. It's, it's think about it working with games workshop for such a long time, knowing that it's in brick and mortar stores that people are recruited. That's, that's, it's very important 
to if you if you're going to have your game in a store, it's very important to make sure you have a good relationship with stores, and you don't right. do things to piss them off. So um, that's always my advice. Uh, some people listen, some people don't, but hey. <laughs> well, you're always going to have those. At the end of the day, you still got your paycheck, so that's all that matters. Well, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I do like to, I, I really do like it when people listen and they go, okay, cool. Well, how can we work around that? And we try and work out a solution and say, well, here's something that's still exciting and will spread virally. Because um, that's the other thing that Kickstarter is great for. Um, well, it's the, one of the main things is is getting the name out. The Kickstarter experience is a very exciting experience, and it's very quite an ad- addictive experience. I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did notice your little pause there. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 something that uh, the people who see a Kickstarter that's even remotely related to something that they've done before, they'll take a look at it and they'll pass it on to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. So it's, it's the best way that sort of the things work for our business is word of mouth. Kickstarter does a great job of generating that initial spark. Yes. That's the one thing that a lot of people that I've talked to, especially on the indie side of things, they still get Kickstarter as like, this is my advertising. Yeah. Very much so. That that's uh, the ten percent you pay for them at the end. That's the, oh, no. that, that's the advertising fee. <laughs> so, which which makes total sense. So, yep. we we've covered a lot of your background, um, but we haven't really touched on your YouTube channel. So right. you you well, we haven't touched a couple of things. One, you also have a blog that goes along with just your kind yep. of business website, and you also have a YouTube channel that you also do. How, yep. So how often do you manage both of those? <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds like not often enough. Not often enough. It's never often enough, is it? Um, basically, uh, the blog I've had for eight years now, um, so I'm pretty happy that it's still chugging along after eight years. Uh, last year was a very slow year for posting. Um, I was just, I, I was incredibly busy, um, really. Uh which is good. It's a good thing for somebody running their own business to be busy. Say, that, that actually sounds like a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a, a nice problem to have. Um, but it meant that uh, posting rates slowed down. So I went from maybe six posts a month to, um, to three posts a month. Uh, reasonably slow start to this year. Um, but yeah, uh, there's, I've got a lot of different projects that I'm working on that, uh, that will end up on the blog for sure. Um, I mentioned I've got Napoleonic uh, Redcoats. I've got uh, some. I've got Magnus and some Rubric Marines that I'm painting at the moment. Uh, I've got some stuff for Dark Age. I've got some Inquisitor models to paint. Uh, I've got a Guild Ball team to paint. All sorts of fun stuff. So they'll all end up on the blog. Um, the uh, for my YouTube channel, uh, I started that off as as a bit of an experiment with my, um, the build for my, uh, warlord Titan. Um, it was sort of one of those things. Let's see how it goes. Let's see what the, the approach is like. Um, so I'd never done any videos before that. Um, I'm kind of goofy on screen. Um, I like to talk to people. Yeah. So talking, talking to the camera is super weird and 
really sort of freaks me out. Uh, I'm not at all, I'm not at all natural. So um, the or when I look at myself and if that's my natural, it's like oh god. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but I did like um, I did 22. I think I did 22 videos for almost a step by step on on the process of building my Warlord Titan and painting it. Uh, I wrapped those up just before Adepticon last year, so March, April, March, April last year. And um, then uh, October last year, I thought I'll come back to it and do some more videos uh, working on my Gene Steeler Cult army when that was released. Uh, kind of talking about the planning and the, uh, the approach to painting there as well. Uh, but that stalled a little bit. Um, I think it's primarily because uh, taking photos and writing some text to go with them, uh, I'm much more comfortable with that uh, process. Uh, so then, they're trying to paint them on camera and all the other stuff. Paint on camera is not my, definitely not my thing. Um, there would be long gaps of silence and really sort of dead air. Uh, but the, I, I certainly have an incredible appreciation for uh, people who do a lot of fantastic YouTube stuff um, because the amount of time it takes to even edit something small that I do and slice up it, the whole editing and the processing, the rendering and all that sort of jazz um, takes a lot longer than putting together a blog post. So um, sometimes it's, it's easier to do a blog post, but at the same time I'm thinking I should do a video for that and I get stuck. So it's like, do I do the blog post? Do I just get the blog post out of the way or do I do the video and then the blog post of the video? It's like, how does it work? So it's, um, yeah, it, it will it will continue to trickle through. Um, hopefully, I'll see my, my blog posts sort of increase over the year. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of toy soldiers I paint in a year, so one of them yeah. should one of them should be should be better than the other. <laughs> yeah, that's actually something that uh, I know Nick and I we were really pushing this year, and uh, this year actually we're focusing more on terrain. Okay. And a, a yep. lot of that is just because of the fact, like a lot of people are pushing out miniatures, which is always cool. Like, yep. we're, we're definitely not shooting that down at all. I mean, we all we all love playing miniatures games, so yep. you want to see everything painted. But the one thing that we we've been noticing a lot of, and uh, we're kind of guilty of it of ourselves, is the fact that the, you know, with the rise of the MDF kits, we're seeing a lot of it that is just like not painted or it's just like based in one color. Yeah. So we're kind of encouraging people like we have our whole terrain love 2017. I don't know why that name stuck, but it did. <laughs> that is what it is. Um, of course it's kitschy. We're, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of it is just, we want to see your terrain. Like we already know you're painting your miniatures. That's cool. Show us your terrain. Show us a finished board. You know, show us, show us that. That's what I want to see this year. Just leaning over here for the moment. Yes, that's what I want to see. Yes, <laughs> there I want we to go. See a big old like twelve inch by twelve inch giant piece of terrain you slap down on a table and it takes up a, a chunk. Yeah. No, exactly. I think that's. Um, I think you're spot on there. It's it's a it's something that isn't covered anywhere near as much as it could be, and the the cool things that people are doing with terrain and um, the companies out there that are doing spectacular work with the MDF kits. I mean. Um, 
Death Ray, uh, Ironheart Artisans, Warsenal, um, some loads of loads of fantastic um, stuff sort of going on. Um, one of the things that uh, that I noticed when I started working with uh, Kulmini or not with Dark Age and Wrath of Kings was also that there weren't all, there wasn't a lot of uh, photography of gaming tables. What do people play on? What are, what are they trying to do? So we've been talking a lot with um, with Warsenal about um, creating some specifically dark age terrain. Um, so I'm also this this piece is one of their sort of cosmic colony kits that are sort of taking putting together and then taking apart um, to destroy. We're doing a similar thing. Uh, we started talking with Foreground in the UK for um, some Wrath of Kings scenery. Nice. Um, but um, I think it's one of the things I love about scenery and working on scenery and having cool looking tables is that it immerses you so much more in the world that you're playing in, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, um, it paints the rest of the picture. It does. It does very much so. And uh, all the stuff that uh, I keep going back to Joey because he's done spectacular work on his terrain, um, he and a couple of other folks. Um, but it's, that's something that it, it sets that scene. It paints that picture. It's, you understand where you're fighting and why you're fighting and, um, and what you're doing. It, it, it grabs you. <laughs> it, it tells that story. So yeah, I'm, I'm a uh, big thumbs up from me for uh, pursuing more terrain stuff. That's cool. Yeah. It's uh, unfortunately just the last few weeks. I haven't had a chance to really sit down and paint it. I've started I, like the worst part is I could honestly say I've started half-assing a lot of it. Sure. <laughs> so it's it's now it's just it's a matter of like going okay, I gotta finish this. So like some of the pieces that I have I've had for a while are actually uh, are you familiar with Awakened Realms? Yeah, yeah. So they did uh, the Kickstarter this last year called the Awakening, and they had like uh, the the and Nick, you you might know these names a little bit better than me. They had like the boat uh, the Necroscape, the Hellscape. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, I've got one of the boxes kicking around at my feet, like like right. Mystic Steam or something like that. And they, you know, they're all they all pretty much sit on forty millimeter bases, so they're not giant pieces of terrain, but they're yeah. enough to like you add that bit of scatter element to the table to where it's like the, the eye popping pieces. Right. So, yep. I don't know if that's in the camera, but it is not, not at all. That was actually horrible. Worst shot, shot ever. Worst <laughs> shot ever. It's in this oh, there we go. now. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, I actually have the, the the hellscape pieces, which yep. fit with something that I said I wasn't going to talk about. But the point of it is, is that, uh, <laughs> that that which shall not be named. Yeah, that which shall not be named. At least on this freaking episode. But uh, <laughs> other than so, three times it already has. Shut up. Uh, so I'm really trying to focus on getting those done because I'm like, ooh, those fit. And so uh, just getting those done, just to have them done and, you know, do a couple, like, eye-catching pieces before I go on to making, like, rocks. Yeah. You know, not not that there's nothing important. Yay, rocks. They're <laughs> unimpressive, but, you yeah. know, it, if you've been working, if, you, if you're kind of a veteran of making your own terrain, you know how to work with foam to make some rocks. Yeah. Or, like, you know, Badlands style rocks with like the tears and everything. So it's like you can do it, but it's it's never something where you're like, ooh, I want to get started on that. It's always like, ah, let me get okay. those rocks done. 
Yep. Yeah, I guess I need these. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to uh, admit uh, that I uh, actually purchased a set of rocks. Um, even, <laughs> even though I've made like I've I've made like I don't know twenty twenty square feet of rocks in my time. Um, the uh, yeah, I, I bought a set of rocks from uh, Greenleaf Terrain. Um, okay. He's, uh, um, up in Canada and yeah, Adam. Adam, yep. And uh, no, I saw his rocks when I went up there. I uh, went up to film with uh, Ash Barker, and uh, they were great. I said, "Hey, who makes your rocks? They're very cool." And uh, I got in touch with Adam and said, "Hey, can you make me a set like that?" Two nice. weeks later, box arrives. It was easy. Is the easiest way to make rocks. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, but I, I know exactly what you mean. But uh, the other fun thing was terrain. When I say fun, I mean terrible. Um, is that it? Almost all the way through, it never looks right until the very end. When you're painting a miniature, you can you can put all the base coats on it, and you go, okay, cool. It's it's mostly painted. It's, I just got to go back and do some highlighting and shading, and it can look good. But terrain is never like that. No. You never get to a point where you go, that looks great, but I still got another five hours on it. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not until it's the final product that you're like, okay, now it looks good. Yeah, because there's never that halfway because it's such a big piece. And like if you're like priming it in black and everything else, you're like, oh, this looks like a giant turd. Glad yep. I did this. <laughs> Why am I wasting my time? Like, wait, wait, wait. Just put another half hour in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, terrain's, uh, terrain's a fun one for sure. Yeah. There, you know, I've got a couple of resin kits too. Uh, Atchison Creations actually had like this, uh, I forget the name of it for the life of me, but uh, it's basically like a, a Celtic wooden fort. Okay. Yeah, it looks really cool, and I, I got that set. And I'm like, okay, this is another excuse for me to get this done because I, you know, you you don't have to use it in just a fantasy game. It'll work in pretty much any setting where it's like, well, people can cut down logs and make a fort, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, pieces like that are are still stuff. And I know that like Nick's got a ton of shark mounted lasers, and well, I don't know how many other things that he bought on his Kickstarter addiction, but I, I know he's got a lot. <laughs> um... Well, let's see. I, I I gave you all those skulls, so I got rid of that. Um, but that came from Kickstarter. I've got Rust Point from Death Ray Designs. I've got their um, uh, the one with all the catwalks that they did in their Kickstarter, not the Vanguard, the other one. The Black Side Black, X. Yeah, Black Side X. And then I've got the other two pieces for uh, that the Awakening, the Steampunk, and the uh, Mystic Stones. So. Well, that's that's just what I can look around and see right off the bat. So <laughs> nice, good work. <laughs> I don't have a problem. <laughs> Not at all. Only quitters admit to having problems. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So, Dave, we do try to keep this at about like roughly that hour point. So, sure. if you want to take the next couple of minutes, kind of you know, plug your websites. Where can we find you at? <laughs> Uh, sure. Um, the, probably the main spot would be the blog. Uh, so, um, Dave Taylor miniatures.blogspot.com. Um, my, I have a Facebook page that goes with that blog, um, which is Dave Taylor miniatures. So if you just do a search for Dave Taylor miniatures, um, you'll get there. Uh, 
make sure you include the miniatures when you're doing that search because Dave Taylor is an incredibly common name. I was going to say, you're probably going to find like at least 300 people like immediately. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, uh, there's a hockey player. Uh, there's a guy in Florida that sells cars. Uh, <laughs> there might be a Senator from Wisconsin or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but um, yeah, definitely uh, include that. And yeah, usually through uh, through my blog and through the, the Facebook pages where I to talk about the, the different things that I'm working on, um, either for personal hobby or for my business. Um, but yeah, if somebody wants to sort of look at those and get in touch and ask me questions about the project that they've got coming up, um, more than happy to talk. Um, one company I didn't mention um, that uh, I think you guys you have. I, Pretty sure you haven't spoken to them yet, but hopefully we'll be talking to them in the next couple of weeks um, or next month or so, is Hyacinth Games. Um, so this is my initial little plug for them. I think uh, today they just announced, today they announced their um, next Kickstarter, going back okay. to speaking Kickstarters. Yes. So uh, they've done a couple of Kickstarters for their game Wreckage, um, which is a, okay. another post-apocalyptic, star, uh, post-apocalyptic game. Um, which is both a, a miniatures game and an RPG. Um, so it has rules that sort of spread across the two. Um, but they're adding vehicles to their um, to their game. So to me, sort of quite cool to see uh, to see those come through. They've got some concepts. I think they might have posted a concept for the truck, um, like the pickup truck that they've got. Uh, but they'll be having a running a Kickstarter in March. Starting in March, finishing in April. Uh, I think it kicks off just before Adepticon. They'll also be at Adepticon. Um, talking there. Um, but yeah, definitely. I'm excited to see how that goes. Uh, and we'll be talking about that a bit more. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you'll probably get Anton on to talk about it. Um, yeah, more than likely. I, I shot them the email. I haven't gotten a response yet. So. Okay. No worries. I know that um, that Anton was away uh, for much last week, so I'll uh, make sure that's squared away. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, fun guys to work with. They do a lot of work with uh, my buddy Alex at Ironheart Artisans, and uh, um, again, that's it's that network of things. I was introduced to Anton through Alex, um, and of course, Anton knows Joey and. Show yeah. somebody else, and it all uh, we'll end up working together. <laughs> yeah, so. that's still, that's still something that personally I find funny is like when you look at it from an outsider's perspective, or like you know somebody who's like a fan who's not working in the industry. You see all these different game companies out there, and you're like, oh, there's no way I could get to know all these people. And then when you get in, you actually realize like how small it really is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everybody knows everybody. You know so-and-so? Awesome. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I worked with him on this project once. <laughs> but yeah. Whoa, amazing. No way. So, so Dave, where are you going to be at uh, for Adepticon? Uh, for Adepticon, primarily I'll be with uh, Cool Mini or Not. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of events. We've got uh, two Wrath of Kings tournaments, two Dark Age tournaments. Uh, we've got um, build and plays. We've got all sorts of crazy things going on for uh for that at the moment the uh i think most of the wrath of kings events are sold out um we might have to open up some more slots uh, we're just talking at the moment to see if we're able to do that 
Uh, most of the Dark Age events are sold out as well. Um, and I think, uh, actually, I'm pretty excited to see um, Sean Dooley's new feature game, uh, The Doom of the Kukulkani. So he's working nice. on a, a ziggurat table and uh, sort of smaller ziggurats around it. And people are going to go up and um, try and stop the Kukulkani from powering up their ziggurat. The Kukulkani, of course, have to try and keep powering up the ziggurat. So um, that should be pretty cool. Uh probably hang out a little bit with the crystal brush and um, then sort of run around and see everything. Um, That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I spent five or six years covering the show for um, War Games Illustrated. Um, so that was always great to be able to go around, take photos of everything. But this year will be a little bit different. But uh, yeah, Adepticon is one of my favorite shows. I've been going since 2005. So, um, whatever that makes it for this year. Yeah, it is definitely, it's kind of become the Gen Con for war gamers. Yeah, it's, it's something that has its, um, I think over, probably over the last three years, maybe it's, um, it grew beyond that, uh, that more personal network sort of level where there are whole rooms of people that you may never see during the show and you don't know, and you know that one of them knows the organizers, but that can all exist and happen without having to know everybody. Yes. It's, um, it's uh, exciting to see. It's fun to see that sort of stuff sort of going on. So, um, yeah, definitely cool. That's what I'll be doing. I'll be uh, running around having fun. Nice. So now everybody the glory that is toy soldiers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, now everybody will know exactly where to find you. Yep. Yep. So I will make sure that we get a bunch of skirmish supremacy podcast stalkers that will just follow you around the con the whole time. Okay. Sure. That's our gift to you. Okay. Uh, like, <laughs> will they come up and say hi first and then follow me, or will I no, sort of no. look over my shoulder yeah. and there'll be somebody there? See, well, now that you most put those parameters there. No. They'll most likely be dressed in great big squirrel costumes. So. Okay. Yeah. Cool. As long as one of the, as long as one of the paws is holding a beer for me, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you will be in the Midwest, so yep. that's definitely going to be easy to find. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what squirrels mm, with beer? beer. <laughs> Both, actually. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, Excellent. folks, that's going to wrap up this episode of Skirmish Supremacy. We will see you this next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, you can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy. We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme, because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at Tim at SkirmishSupremacy.com or Nick at SkirmishSupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.